Section 42 of The Cambridge Modern History, Volume 1, The Renaissance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 13, The Netherlands, by A. W. Ward, Part 1. When after the catastrophe of nancy the cautious doubts of louis the eleventh as to the personal fate of his adversary had at last been set at rest many of charles the bold's former subjects refused to believe him dead and from burgundy to the flemish communes the rumour ran that he but lay concealed in some sure retreat whence sooner or later he would issue forth in the full blaze of his accustomed grandeur some had seen him in lorraine others in germany others in portugal to whose nationality he had laid claim as descending to him from his mother and in england of whose throne he had loved to describe himself as the next heir yet others in jerusalem which he and his father had vainly hoped to reach as crusaders and in rome men of business lent out large sums of money to one another to be repaid on the day of his return on which strange to say even those fixed their hopes who had previously testified to having seen him dead in the snow and ice of his last battlefield a delusion was upon them all says the chronicler molinet in his bombastic way like that possessing the jews who await the coming of the messiah in judea or the english who expect king arthur back in their island but what wonder he asks since there never was in the burgundian dominions a duke more magnificent more warlike more terrible than he the scourge of the rebels the alarum of germany the exterminator of the folk of liege and the terror of france of so strong and splendid a prince it might indeed seem hard to understand so great a fall yet even more difficult to grasp than the fact of his personal overthrow was this other fact that with him had been pulled down suddenly and to all seeming irrecoverably the mightiest and wealthiest monarchy known to the west in the fifteenth century this vast inheritance welded together by the policy of his ancestors and above all of his father and augmented by his own ambition to which charles had allowed so many princes to aspire as suitors for his daughter's hand he had left to her precarious tenure as a mutilated dislocated and disorganized heap of territories furthermore in those centres of civic life whose mercantile and industrial prosperity had in the europe of the later middle ages been the real source of the importance of the netherlands and of the burgundian monarchy that prosperity was except in certain specially favored seaports helplessly and hopelessly on the wane and the great communes which had of old been its most favored seats were in the truthful words of a modern historian smitten to the heart the territories under the dominion of the house of burgundy which had formed part of the northern division of ancient lotharingia 
and were known to later political geography as the provinces of the netherlands were for the most part acquired by the fortune of marriage and inheritance but a settled plan of policy had from an early date continuously directed and developed the process of annexation the inheritance brought by margaret of mele to the french prince who was the founder of the duckle dynasty included the county of artois with its capital of arras a city of great mercantile prosperity as early as the thirteenth century and the whole of flanders to the latter on the eastern side malines mechlin and antwerp had been yielded by brabant and on the south certain walloon districts long united with france and including lille and douay had been restored so as likewise to be left to his daughter by the last count of flanders of the native line without the support of the good towns of flanders bruges ghent and ypres philip the bold could not have secured the hand of the richest heiress in europe and of the political greatness achieved by his dynasty the true foundations are to be sought in the resources of the great communes themselves with whom it was engaged in perennial conflict and in a less degree of the other towns around them there is no indication on the other hand that even during the burgundian period agriculture except perhaps pasture reached a high level in flanders in a considerable proportion of its villages the inhabitants gained their livelihood by manufacturing industry the villages aiming at becoming small towns and the small towns at becoming large in their turn artois and flanders remained fiefs of the french crown although by the peace of arras fourteen thirty five philip the good was relieved for his own person of all obligations of homage to his french overlord the great acquisitions which ensued in the course of his long reign were not altogether due to his own resolution and statecraft he shared the credit of them with his grandfather and namesake who had induced joan heiress of brabant and aunt to his wife margaret of flanders to designate his second son anthony as her heir and who married his daughter another margaret to the future count william the sixth of Hainault, holland zealand and friesland but they could not have been actually accomplished except by the extraordinary strength of will and perseverance displayed by philip the good in the course of the long and momentous struggle carried on by jacqueline of bavaria for the maintenance of her rights as william the sixth's heiress philip began the systematic extension of his dominions by the business-like purchase of the county of namur fourteen twenty two of which he came into actual possession eight years later by the death of the last female representative of the house of dampierre this district was of some consequence by reason of its mining industry whose products the muse carried north after uniting the waters of the sambre to its own at the capital brabant fell into his hands in fourteen thirty on the death of the young duke philip the brother of jacqueline's unhappy husband to the duchy of brabant 
that of limburg had been annexed twelve eighty eight with its chief town of maestricht the higher ford of the romans and the residence of many caroling kings over which the bishop of liege claimed joint rights of sovereignty with the dukes of brabant unlike the flemish counts these dukes had consistently remained on friendly terms with their towns where the patriciate geslachten vigorously maintained itself throughout the fourteenth century ample and solid liberties were conceded to his towns and nobility by duke john the second in the compact known as the letter of courtenberg thirteen twelve enlarged by later charters and above all when the accession of wenceslaus of luxembourg offered an irresistible opportunity by the famous joyeuse entrée blyde incomst thirteen fifty six which remained the chief pillar of the liberties of the two united duchies down to the tempestuous times of philip the second of spain at the beginning of this century louvain Leuven, had still regarded herself as the foremost city of brabant mindful of the day when she had numbered a hundred thousand inhabitants and the cloth industry and the linen trade had alike flourished within her walls soon however though she became the seat of the first netherlands university fourteen twenty six a large emigration set in to brussels whither the court likewise transferred its seat here the active lower town and the residences of the nobility lining the descent from the castle to saint goudoul together contained all the chief elements in the brabanson population while the french tastes and manners introduced together with the use of the french tongue by the new dynasty familiarized its favorite residence with an exotic license of life but owing to the decay of the cloth industry early in the century the democratic ascendancy of the trades was short-lived in the capital of brabant and like the great flemish cities themselves brussels though other industries flourished here was commercially distanced by antwerp over Aino, holland zealand and more or less nominally friesland philip's sovereignty was definitively established in fourteen thirty three five years after the resistance of jacqueline had finally collapsed at the very time when the fury of the cabaliaus had risen to fever pitch against her supporters the hooks their last fleet had been annihilated and he was preparing for a decisive campaign against his seemingly indomitable adversary at that time the recognition of philip as next heir had been voted even in chivalrous Aino, where jacqueline had always been able to count on ardent loyalty and where amidst feudal conditions of life only one or two towns valenciennes and more recently mans had developed their communal institutions in holland and zealand the towns attained to an advanced condition of prosperity and importance later than in brabant just as the latter had lagged behind flanders yet though the growth of the towns in the northern netherlands was relatively slow neither was their commercial and industrial progress hampered as was the case in germany 
by too close a control on the part of transmitted interests nor was their political life like that of the flemish communes handed over to the gusts of the market-place as a rule practical considerations led them from more to less broadly popular methods of government in matters of trade on the other hand the towns of holland generally favored freedom as against privilege and protection and towards the close of the middle ages the single port in the northern netherlands which retained any staple rights of consequence was dort whose ancient monopoly of all goods carried on the main rivers of holland nominally outlasted the burgundian period but long before this amsterdam converted into a seaport by the formation of the zuiderzee in the thirteenth century had risen into prominence and by the middle of the fifteenth she had left behind all the older towns of importance dort delft haarlem alkmaar middelburg and zierikzee while among the younger gouda leiden scheidam and rotterdam were likewise active centres of industrial and mercantile life few great noble families remained either in holland or in zealand but in the latter the small nobility was still numerous in the days of jacqueline and it was from them that the main strength of the hoax had been recruited in her wars while that of the cabaliaus lay with the ruling classes in the towns the vanquished cause however was consecrated in the memory of the people as having been that of resistance against the dominion of the stranger in no instance had his hand been heavier than in his treatment of the peninsula now known as north holland stretching out between the north sea and the zuider zee where dwelt the kenimer a primitive race of great and tried vigour who clung to their liberties as they held fast to the fragments of land left to them by the waters in kenimer land proper alkmaar was the only town with thriving haarlem on their borders these peasants were constantly engaged in petty warfare and it was from here that philip proceeded on his expedition of vengeance which reduced them to the condition of overtaxed dependents a few of the mercantile settlements along the western coast of the zuider zee came in the burgundian period to rank among the busiest towns of holland horn as the chief market in the netherlands for dairy produce and cattle enkhuizen as a centre of the herring fishery friesland proper on the northeastern shore over which philip asserted his claims as count of holland and zealand was not actually absorbed by him here the party name of the Schieringers mainly applied to the lower population settled round the waters of the ancient westergau and that of the vetkoopers to the men of substance in and around groningen which town held a position so distinctive that it afterwards became eponymous of a whole province officially called Staatenlanden. philip the good might possibly have been acknowledged as lord of friesland like john of bavaria before him had he been prepared to bind himself to respect the liberties of the population but this he consistently refused 
and the remote region was once more left to itself even the subsequent recognition by groningen of the overlordship of the bishop of utrecht was purely nominal as was the episcopal protection claimed by her against the attempt of charles the bold to assert the ducal authority over all west friesland fourteen sixty nine from the renewed internal party conflicts in friesland groningen discreetly held aloof intent upon the advancement of her commercial prosperity by whose side that of ancient golden staverin was passing away while that of leeu warden had hardly yet begun philip's last important territorial acquisition was that of the duchy of luxembourg a sparsely peopled land of mountains and forests whose capital derived importance from the incomparable natural strength of its position it had been twice temporarily united with brabant first under wenceslaus upon whom it had been bestowed by his brother the great emperor charles the fourth and who was married to the heiress joan and then under elizabeth niece of the second wenceslaus king of the romans who had left it very much to itself and the protection of its natural outworks the wild ardan to her commonly called elizabeth of gorlitz he had after her marriage to duke anthony of brabant philip's younger brother made over his rights in luxembourg and since both anthony and her second husband john of bavaria formerly bishop-elect of liege left her a childless widow her duchy was plainly marked out for incorporation in the burgundian dominions in fourteen forty five philip purchased it from elizabeth who after he had averted an extraneous attack and established his authority in every part of the duchy made a formal donation to him of the whole of the four great dioceses into which the netherlands were up to the time of charles v divided liege and utrecht retained the character of self-governed ecclesiastical principalities beyond the duration of philip's reign liege luc was one of the most important sees in the empire and the spiritual authority of its bishop extended over parts of brabant and Hainaut, as well as over namur limburg and upper gelderland in the principality the dia were composed of representatives of clergy nobility and towns but these last were in enjoyment of liberties resembling those possessed by the flemish communes in the city of liege itself the struggle which had long been carried on between the old patrician families relatively few in number but favored by the bishops and the mass of the walloon population had been decided in favor of the latter even before quote, a city of priests had been changed into one of colliers and armorers the faction feuds between the awan and the waru had ended with the utter extrusion of the patrician element from the city and liege became a democracy of the most advanced type with a governing body based directly upon the suffrage of all the thirty-two trades it was as a community swayed by leaders who gloried in their rupture with the past edouard 
that liege with the support of the other good towns of the principality revolted against the bishop-elect john of bavaria the terrible chastisement inflicted by this pitiless prince in which his kinsman the fearless john of burgundy had hastened to have his share fourteen o eight was followed by a reconstitution of the government from which the trades were absolutely excluded fourteen fourteen but some concessions were made to them a few years later half a century later the liegeois instigated by louis the eleventh of france waged another struggle against another bishop louis of bourbon a nephew of duke philip of burgundy his son the future duke charles forced the principality to acknowledge the burgundian dukes as its hereditary protectors mambourgs fourteen sixty five but another insurrection speedily broke out nor was the defiant spirit of the artisans who were masters of the city broken even by the bloody sack of dinan hitherto the seat of a flourishing industry in the working of copper and brass in fourteen sixty seven after defeating the liegeois in the field charles now duke in his father's place annihilated their privileges and re-established the bishop but at the same time reduced the principality to the condition of a burgundian fief in the following year when louis the eleventh had placed himself in the power of charles at peron and a fresh rising had taken place at liege the recalcitrant city was overtaken by a fearful doom at the reeking of which the french king assisted perforce laodensium clades et exidium became the most flagrant of charles the bold's titles to fame and the pillaged churches in which formerly according to commines as many masses had been daily said as at rome were virtually all that after a seven weeks sack was left standing of liege but the principality which had never been formally annexed by charles after his death recovered its political independence and with characteristic vitality the great walloon city rose rapidly from its ruins at peron charles also made use of his strange opportunity to strengthen his hold over the series of towns along the line of the somme extending from saint quentin to saint valery at the mouth of the river these picard towns the key of france had been left in pledge by france to burgundy already in the treaty of arras fourteen thirty five which first impressed upon western europe a sense of the magnitude of the burgundian power redeemed by louis in fourteen sixty three at a time when philip and his heir were on ill terms with one another they had been recovered in fourteen sixty five for the netherlands and the protection of their southern frontier the temporal power of the bishops of utrecht covered at least in name the later provinces of overjaisel and drenthe called the upper sea groningen and utrecht called the lower although much restricted by the five chapters whose deputies took the first place in the die the episcopal system of government as well as the institutions of the city of utrecht 
showed considerable lasting power, largely because, while the representatives of the trades controlled the civic council, members of the noble families residing at Utrecht had been frequently placed on the roll of the trades themselves. Conflicts, however, repeatedly broke out on the occasion of the filling up of the sea, and in Jacqueline's times, the factions of the Lichtenbergers and the Lockhorsts, respectively, supported the Hoeks and the Gobeljaus. In 1425, the question of the Episcopal succession gave rise to a protracted contest, in which Philip took part, and when, after this had come to an end on the expulsion of one of the claimants and the death of the other, the succession was again disputed. He menaced Utrecht with a large armada, and thus managed to secure the sea for his illegitimate son David, who kept possession of it till the death of Charles the Bold. From 1456 onwards to that date, Utrecht was entirely under Burgundian influence. But though, as will be seen, Maximilian, in 1483, assumed the administration of the principality, and, though from 1517 to 24, another of Philip the Good's bastards was put in possession of the bishopric, it was not till 1529 that the temporal government of the upper and lower sea was definitively assumed by Charles V as the sovereign of Brabant and Holland. It was still later that Gelderland in its turn acknowledged the authority now established over all the rest of the Netherlands. The dynastic broils of the House of Gelders had been tragic enough, while they merely affected its own dominions and the neighboring duchy of Juliers, brother supplanting brother, and sister striving against sister. The contending factions in the duchy of Gelders whose fury survived the occasion of their origin, went by the names of the Hecarins and the Bronckhorsts. The spheres of English and Burgundian influence in the Netherlands were respectively enlarged when Duke William IX of Juliers and Gelders, himself the grandson of an English princess, opposed the efforts of Joan of Brabant, the friend of Burgundy, and defied the power of France. His reign, which lasted till 1402, marked an important advance in the prosperity of the chief Geldrian towns, Nimwegen, Roermond, Zutphen, and Arnhem, where the rise of a considerable cloth industry connects itself with his firm attachment to the English alliance. Under his brother and successor, who remained childless like himself, the die of the duchy resolved that no duke should henceforth be acknowledged in Gelderland unless approved by the majority of the knightly order, many of whose members down to the close of the 15th century were virtually independent, and by the smaller towns, with the unanimous assent of the above-mentioned chief towns of the four quarters, while any partition of the duchy or alienation of any section of it was made conditional on the sanction of the die. Thus, in 1423, on the death of Duke Reynald IV, the towns raised to the ducal dignity his sister's grandson Arnold of Egmont, who was still a boy in years. 
although the emperor sigismund had invested the duke of berg with the duchy of gelders arnold retained the confidence of the estates by enlarging their privileges and enjoyed the support of duke philip of burgundy to whose niece the daughter of duke adolf of cleves he was betrothed and afterwards united in marriage subsequently however duke arnold fell out with his ally as to the succession to the see of utrecht whereupon philip joined with the four chief towns of gelderland in the successful attempt of arnold's son adolf to substitute his own for his father's authority but when in fourteen sixty seven charles the bold became duke of burgundy who could not bring himself to befriend a friend of the towns adolf after rejecting a compromise was thrown into prison and his incapable father against the will of the towns and the law of the land pledged his duchy to charles for three hundred thousand rhenish florins fourteen seventy one on arnold's death two years later charles took possession of the duchy nimwegen whose stout resistance he had overcome by force was subjected to a heavy fine and only such of the towns as had voluntarily submitted to the burgundian regime were confirmed in certain of their privileges during the rest of the reign of charles the bold arnold's son charles and his sister were kept at the burgundian court and gelderland was ruled with an iron hand but the burgundian system of administration was probably to the advantage of the gelderian population at large though it had to furnish troops for his wars as will be seen a long and troublous interval of rebellion and war was to ensue before in fifteen forty three william of juliet whom charles of egmont had named his successor resigned his claims to gelders and zutphen and the entire netherlands were united in the hands of the emperor charles v the extension by the dukes of burgundy of their territorial dominion over the netherlands necessitated the establishment by them of a strong monarchical authority a number of states of which each had a history and institutions of its own while the most important of them abounded in large and populous towns were brought under the control of one and the same dynasty the physical and economic conditions of these several provinces varied greatly while in the country at large two very dissimilar races continued to dwell side by side and to employ two forms of speech differing from one another as well as from the language spoken at the ducal court but the dukes of burgundy from the first were intent upon something more than securing to themselves a strong control over all their netherlands dominions they had come into the low countries as strangers they had no traditional sympathy with the memories no inborn respect for the rights and liberties of any section or class of their subjects and the last two of these dukes in particular were deliberately resolved on setting up a centralized system of rule in the face of all claims legal historical or other herein they followed both the traditions of the royal line from which they sprang and the political instinct which apprised them that unless their strength was at least equal to that of their overlords 
the struggle against these could only end in the absorption of their own dominions in a united france while for reasons to be given below the endeavor of the dukes of burgundy to advance and consolidate their princely power in the netherlands met with goodwill and cooperation on the part of the nobility and clergy its chief adversaries were the great communes of flanders and in a less degree those of brabant this conflict was in itself inevitable for the political and social development of the chief flemish towns only typified on a large scale what had taken or was taking place in other provinces the terrible blow inflicted at Rusbeck, with the aid of france upon the communes and upon ghent in particular was not absolutely mortal and although their prosperity in the fifteenth century never again reached the height to which it had previously attained yet their importance in the whole body politic was still paramount as early as the thirteenth century bruges practically a port by means of its control of slyes had become a world's fair and ghent in eastern and ypres in western flanders had grown with amazing rapidity into great industrial centers of population surrounded by many other flourishing towns of which the names are now in part forgotten with their activity and wealth had grown a sense of power and an impatience of external control for which the middle ages no complete parallel could have been found on the hither side of the alps the civic governments which in this earlier period asserted their authority against that of the counts were purely oligarchic and it was only gradually that the artisans since the organization of the trades as guilds had been elaborated and was for a long time controlled by the patriciates came to essay a trial of strength with them the determining factor is to be sought in the irresistible ascendancy of the trade of the weavers and of the minor trades connected with it when the cloth industry of flanders was at its height when the patricians in their turn had thrown themselves upon the support of the french crown Lulliards, the massacres known as the met matin of bruges began the great democratic revolution which triumphed in the utter overthrow of the chivalry of france on the field of coutray 1302 the honors of that day belonged to the trades of bruges assisted by those of ypres and ghent in defiance of the prohibitions issued by their patrician authorities and during the entire epoch of the political ascendancy of the communes their self-government was striving to establish itself on broad popular foundations the elder artveld was the pericles of ghent whose extraordinary self-confidence was mainly due to the hope of an effective political alliance with england based on free commercial intercourse with her as the chief provider of the raw material of flemish industry after his death evil times began for ghent which had become the chief of the three members of flanders and had charged itself with the executive on behalf of the towns and other districts of the country at large the visitations of heaven seemed to descend upon the land in the form of tempests and inundations and the black death 
the Anglo-Flemish alliance was a thing of the past. Bruges, whose jealousy of Ghent was ineradicable, was inclined to support the maneuvers of the territorial prince, and in many of the communes a reaction set in towards oligarchical government. But Ghent stood firm, and when the banners of her crafts had been unfurled for the critical struggle, and the White Hoods once more streamed forth from her gates, Bruges, Ypres, Courtrai, and all the other Flemish towns once more fell into line for the final struggle. With their overthrow at Rusbeck, 1382, the political greatness of the communes came to an end, but the resistance of Ghent was only slowly extinguished. Yet, to Philip the Good, as to his father, notwithstanding the part which he played at Paris, and to his grandfather before him, and his son after him, the Flemish communes were, as Comines says of Ghent in especial, a thorn in the flesh. Not that he was unaware of the fact that his European position depended upon the prosperity of the Flemish towns even more than upon that of the Dutch, who always regarded the ally of the Gabeljaus as their friend, or upon that of Brussels, his favorite place of residence. He sought to arrest the decay of Ypres, and his commercial policy towards England was dictated by the interests of Flanders. But he was resolute in asserting his political supremacy at any cost, and the first occasion on which he showed himself conscious of the fact that the destruction of his subjects was his own loss was when he had crushed the last resistance of the Genters at Gavre, 1453. Until the peace of Arras, he mainly, though not entirely as Ypres learnt to its cost, confined himself to sowing discord between the towns. But afterwards, when the communal militia had deserted him at the siege of Calais, the conflict first broke out between him and Bruges, 1436. Patched up by the grant of the two new charters, it burst forth again in the insurrection known as the terrible Whit Wednesday, 1438, and after meeting the Duke's forces in the open field, the city, which was suffering from the devastations of a pestilence, was in the end forced to give way. Bruges was only saved from destruction by the intervention of the foreign merchants, but while the new charters were revoked or modified, the trades were deprived of their cherished right of unfurling their banners without waiting for the display of the dukes, in other words, of the right of taking up arms without his summons, and the sinews of future resistance were cut by the abolition of the communal contribution to the trades, Montgelt. The turn of Ghent came a little later. On her refusal to pay a salt tax to which Bruges and Ypres had submitted, a conflict began which lasted for four years, 1449. After the Duke had twice stopped the ordinary administration of justice, the whole body of the people took the power into its hands, appointed three captains, Hoftmannen, and at the sound of the bell, assembled under arms on the Vriedagsmarkt. The Duke retorted by a decree of blockade and outlawry against Ghent. 
Bruges and the other towns jealously held aloof, and though the Genters appealed both to the French suzerain and to the government of Henry VI of England, they had to fight out the contest virtually alone. In the city, a ruthless terrorism maintained an unreasoning enthusiasm till a long and sanguinary campaign ended within sight of her towers by the carnage of Gav, 1453. The settlement which ensued established the ducal authority as paramount in every important function of the administration of the city, abolished the most cherished guarantees of its previous independence, and among other humiliations inflicted on its representatives, that of confessing the guilt of the suppressed rebellion in the French tongue. Some of the privileges of the prostrate city were indeed renewed in a new charter. The powers of the royal bailiff were restricted, and no mention was made of the obnoxious salt tax. But the victory was not the less complete, and was followed by the revocation of the charters of other towns, although they had abstained from supporting Ghent. End of section 42 Recording by Linda Johnson